right, everybody, welcome to today's episode of the Jerry's World Podcast. On today's episode, my good friend CJ Wild comes on the show and we talk about Palm Sunday, Good Friday, and Easter Sunday. I also talk about the first two rounds of the NCAA Men's Basketball Tournament. My team is out. My bracket is dead. I still love this fucking tournament. It's March. It's chaos. It's madness. With that being said, I hope you enjoy today's episode. All right, so for today's episode of the Jerry's World Podcast, I welcome once again my good friend CJ Wild. CJ, it's a pleasure to have you on. How are you doing today? Jerry, it's an honor to be back here with you today. This is uh, this is quite a treat. This is uh, definitely the best thing about 2021, I might say. I mean, I know we're only three months in, but I, uh, I'm really looking forward to the, to the great places this podcast is going to go this year. Oh, I mean, the sky is the limit for the podcast. I thank you for your, your continuous support, and I thank you for being a, a, one, a guest. Uh, you, you know, you're more than welcome to come back, as I always say. So hopefully you can come back after this episode as well. But let's get right into it. Today we're going to talk about uh, the we're going to talk about Holy Week. You know, we're going to start with Palm Sunday, and then we're going to work our way to Easter. And I just want to begin talking about Palm Sunday, and I'll have you start talking about like the importance of it, and then I'll have you go into like what it means to you as uh, like as an individual. Sure. So uh, yeah, we're coming up on Holy Week now, which is no pun intended, the holiest time of the uh, liturgical year in the, in the Catholic Church and in Christian churches as well. And so uh, Holy Week really begins, uh, commences with Jesus's triumphant entry into Jerusalem on what we call today Palm Sunday. And so Palm Sunday, uh, as you might remember from your from your time growing up, uh, going to church, you, you might remember there's a, usually a, a long um, uh, procession Maybe some churches might have had the uh, the priest even ride in on a donkey, you know, um, <laughs> and, and that's really to, to mirror Jesus's entry into Jerusalem. So Jesus and his apostles, as they're making their way from Galilee to Jerusalem uh, in that final uh, stretch of, of the last few weeks of Jesus's earthly life before the crucifixion, um, they're, they're making their way to Jerusalem because Jerusalem was the capital city, which is where uh, sacrifice was offered at the temple. So back in um in, in temple days of Judaism, in Second Temple Judaism, there was only one place that sacrifice could be offered, and that was at the temple, the one temple, capital T Temple in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. And so they were going there for Passover, which was the holiest time of the year uh, for the Jewish uh, faith, people of the Jewish faith. And so uh, Passover is, uh, of course, uh, as you probably remember, the uh, the commemoration of the exodus, uh, of the liberation from, from slavery in Egypt. Yes. Um, when, when God delivered the people and, and Moses led the people out uh, through the Sea of Reeds, through the Red Sea, and delivered them from Pharaoh, Pharaoh and the chariots and charioteers. Right? So, uh, so Jesus Christ is entering Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Of course, it was probably just called Sunday back then. <laughs> <I'm kidding. laughs> but uh, he, he was entering on what would later be called Palm Sunday at the same time as another significant figure uh, who will have a very important role later in the week. And this is Pontius Pilate. So Pontius Pilate would have also been coming into Jerusalem at about that time because he was the Roman prefect or the Roman governor. And at the same time as Jesus is entering into Jerusalem and he's riding on the back of a donkey, some some translations of the scripture say it might be uh, an ass or maybe an oxen. As Jesus is entering in and as people are hailing him with palms, which is a sign of uh, royalty or a sign of, um, of his uh, regal uh, status, we might say, 
Um, they're laying down their palms and cloaks and, and signs of honor and signs of praise as they're lauding this great, um, this great teacher, this great rabbi, uh, the Son of God, as we profess him today, as he's entering. And at the same time, uh, of course, probably in another part of town, uh, Pontius Pilate is also entering into the city because he had this beautiful estate uh, called Caesarea Maritima, nice little uh, rhyme there. And mm-hmm. it was this beautiful um, seaside sort of escape that he would spend most of his time at. But during the high holy days of the Jewish calendar, when the population in Jerusalem swelled, he also would have to go down to Jerusalem and make sure that, you know, everybody was uh, staying well behaved because the, the size of the city would, would double, triple, quadruple, quintuple in population um, as all of these Jews from everywhere in the world were coming together in the um, in the uh, capital city of Jerusalem to offer sacrifice at the temple for Passover. So um, that's what we commemorate on Palm Sunday, that entry into Jerusalem of Jesus Christ as he uh, makes his way closer to uh, closer really to the cross and then ultimately, as we know, uh, his resurrection later on. And uh, it's interesting because Palm Sunday is um, is a Sunday, so technically it, it's an obligation because every Sunday, as the church teaches, is an obligation. But it's interesting because I don't have the statistics in front of me, but I have to imagine that Palm Sunday is one of the most well-attended days in the church year because anytime we give something away, people are always in church. You know, oh. whether it's ashes on Ash Wednesday, palms on Palm Sunday. I'm sure you probably probably have some good memories of palms when you were a little kid, right? Oh, definitely, definitely. And I was just going to talk about that. I feel like the top, the four busy four mo- like times of the year that church is at its peak attendance, Easter Sunday, Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, Palms Palm Sunday and Good Friday and Good Friday. Um and and Ash Wednesday, so five right there. Those are the five biggest uh, days of the liturgical year where church is always heavily populated. Uh, just because of their importance. But yeah, I mean, when I was a little kid, I mean, I used to go to church all the time with my grandparents and Palm Sunday, like they would come in and we like, they would actually come into town to come and visit us on Palm Sunday, on Good Friday and on Easter, actually. But I'll go more into, I'll go more into it. Like when we talk, we talk about later, but for Palm Sunday, they would come into town. They would take me to Sunday morning mass. And actually when you mentioned the procession of Jesus, actually, uh, not necessarily did like the priest in my church actually like reenact him riding a donkey, but the procession was actually a little bit much lo- a little bit longer than you know the usual procession to the altar. It actually, depending on how the weather was, actually, the we-, we would actually like kind of stand outside and like they would like pro do start their procession like in the parking lot actually and proceed into the church that way and then like make their way down the main aisle and then like we would all kind of just like follow in after that so it was a cool that was a cool experience when I was a child and also you know like you said mentioning giving something away obviously the church would all like churches to give out palms so they could be made into crosses so you could put so you can put them like wherever in your house I remember uh, all the time of my grandparents and even my parents actually like they'd grab as many palms as they could just to like we'd have a cross made of a palm cross in the kitchen in the living room i had one in my bedroom um there and our living our living room too our dining room you know almost every room in the house had one except for the bathroom except for the bathroom uh but that those are fond memories i have of palm sunday uh and with, uh, you know, just with family in general. And like I said, we'll talk more about it uh, when it comes to Good Friday and talking about Easter Sunday too because 
those days I also have fond memories with my family as well. So could you ever, uh, could you ever figure out how to fold the, the palm into the cross? I never got that. No, it was never in my wheelhouse. Never. I never did actually. Uh, my grandma actually tried to teach me. I, I got it down like one time and then I tried actually making it by myself. Don't know. I, I, I just couldn't do it. And then my grandma, my grandpa actually, like my grandma knew how to fold them, but my grandpa didn't. So what he did was he just folded the palms together. Like he just folded them, you know, like individually. And then like what he would do is like take the palm and like staple it together, like to make the cross that way. And I'm like, grandpa, nice. that's one way to do it. I'm like, grandpa, what are you doing? So, he, so he'd have it like that. Like you'd see my grandma's nicely folded made cross. And then you'd see my grandpa's like stapled together cross on the hanging like in the living room. And we're like, why are you putting this one in the living room? Put it like in a hallway somewhere where nobody can see it. <laughs> Because I guess that was my grand my grandma wa- my grandma was kind of picky about stuff like that but like I said just good memories there uh, attending mass with the family um, I don't know if the church I don't know if the church back home back home does that anymore honestly I know that I know that they tried they did it up up until a few years back but then they changed priests so but by the time they changed priests and everything I was already here in Rochester going to Fisher so. I don't know like what happened with that, but good traditions there with that. Um, what about, I'm not sure this year with, with the COVID restrictions if churches will be handing out palms. I don't know if that's going to be up to each pastor or if the bishops have made decisions about that. Usually that's left to the diocesan uh, powers that be, uh, whether they're going to hand out palms or not. Didn't they hand um, and a little, little fun fact about palms since I was on for your Ash Wednesday and Lent episode with, of course, um, what is it, Valentine's Day and... Um, what was the other one? Mardi Gras? Mardi Gras. Uh, the ashes that we receive on Ash Wednesday are made of the palms from the previous Palm Sunday. So they, they essentially uh, burn the palms because they're blessed and they're not supposed to just be thrown away, but, but burned, uh, burned up cer- ceremoniously. And then they, um, they use those ashes on Ash Wednesday. So a great little piece of uh, connection from one year to the next. That is actually a nice little fun fact there. I think John, I think John uh, actually told me that once too, but I can't remember if he did actually. John talks about so much stuff, <laughs> but John talks about so much stuff. But uh, what about you? You know, uh, what any fond memories of uh, Palm Sunday, you know, when you were little? Oh, Palm Sunday. Uh, boy, we, uh, like you said, we, uh, we used to also have a procession, not all the way from the parking lot. Usually we just started sort of on the sidewalk in front of church. Um, but I remember at, at Fisher when we were in undergrad, we, um, we oftentimes would start out on that little uh, sort of plaza outside of the chapel. And then uh, we, we'd bless the palms. Everybody would have their palms. Uh, of course, the priest would be wearing red, the traditional color for Palm Sunday. And, uh, and then we'd all get to process in. Um, and it, it was great, you know, because even though here we are 2,000 years later, it's um, – it's beautiful that uh, that symbolism that that connects us to the to the distant past and to what it must have been like to be those disciples who were who were hailing their their king their messiah as he entered into Jerusalem it's just uh, it's beautiful poetic to think about it is beautiful and it is poetic too it's also kind of sad when you think about it because like they're witnessing their hero their 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 king come into Jerusalem for the final time I mean, they didn't know that at the time, obviously, but looking back, like, when we look back at it now, like, you know, it's kind of like, um, it's kind of, it's kind of sad for those people when you really think about it, because, like, they, they, he came into Jerusalem, and then, like, 
well, we know, like, you know, in the events to come after that, after obviously. But with that being said, I mean, you know, it is still much a powerful message to this day, you know, 2,000 years later, like you said. Um, but now, like, you know, we're, I want to go into actually uh, Good Friday, actually, and, you know, talk about, like, the importance of Good Friday. And then the same thing, like, with Palm Sunday, you know, talk about any memories that you and I both had, uh, like, you know, f- growing up and even now. Sure, yeah. Good Friday is maybe the most, uh, maybe, uh, maybe the most solemn uh, part of the, what's called Easter Triduum uh, liturgy. And that's really a three-day liturgy, right? Try, three, Triduum, three-day. And so that begins on Holy Thursday, and it runs through Good Friday to what's called Holy Saturday, which is the, the day before Easter. And that really commemorates what we call the, the Paschal Mystery, so the suffering and death of Jesus and then ultimately culminating in the uh, the resurrection, uh, the glorification on Easter Sunday. And so uh, that is really, in the Catholic Church, one liturgy, we call it, uh, one solemn remembrance of Jesus' Last Supper beginning on Holy Thursday when he was having his Seder with the, uh, with the apostles, when he instituted the Eucharist, the Most Holy Eucharist, when he instituted the priesthood. When he, uh, when he washed the apostles' feet and demonstrated for them just what it means to be a servant and to humble ourselves always. And so that, uh, that really marks the beginning of that three-day liturgy. Mm-hmm. And then as we you know, sort of trace through the historical timeline, after, after the Last Supper, mm-hmm. Jesus and the apostles went over to the, uh, the Garden of Gethsemane, right? Jesus prayed the agony in the garden. This might sound familiar to some of the listeners. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, this has, of course, been played out in plenty of movies and um, certainly been an object of many uh, artists' uh, imaginations, you know, with paintings and different things, short stories. And so after um, after Jesus is arrested, right, after the betrayal by Judas, yep. and Jesus is arrested, um, he's, he's tried ultimately. And, you know, uh, Good Friday morning, we have the uh, the betrayal by Peter, right? Mm-hmm. After uh, after he denies him three times, right, the, the rooster crows. Yep. And, uh, and it sort of fulfills that prophecy that Jesus... That Jesus had mentioned to Peter earlier, and so then, uh, then we have got that that, that uh, tragic, right? That that heartbreaking scene where um, where the people are shouting, "Crucify him! Crucify him!" You know, we want Barabbas. <laughs> as uh, as Pilate stands before uh, the the Jewish crowd gathered before him, and, and and some of the elite, some of the leaders are calling, you know, we want Jesus crucified, and we think he's a revolutionary, and uh, and then after that, of course. We have uh, what's what's perhaps the most um, profound uh, moment maybe in, in all of our salvation history, and that's that the Lord, the God of the universe, entered into our humanity, right, in Jesus Christ, and then ultimately willingly accepted that death uh, at the hands of Pontius Pilate. Right? So Pontius Pilate condemns Jesus to death. He takes up his cross. Uh, before he takes up his cross, he's scourged at the pillar, right? He's crowned with the crown of thorns. They put a cloak on him to mock him. You look at this crown, this robe. He's not a king. Look at this king. This is what the Romans say. And so Jesus processes through the, uh, the streets of Jerusalem, the Via Dolorosa. We call it the way, the way of sorrow. And it's maybe, you know, 600 yards or so out. So what's called the place of the skull to Golgotha, where he's crucified, right? He's stripped naked in the most humiliating death possible. He's nailed to that cross. He hangs up there for three hours, we, we, uh, we, we profess. And then at that third hour, three o'clock, that great hour of mercy, he, he takes his last breath and he dies. And so then we have uh, Joseph of Arimathea, who uh, who takes down Jesus's body from the dead, who lays him in the tomb, and really he uh, he, he prepares Jesus's body for burial, 
which ultimately then, uh, of course, we know, uh, we know that the burial is not the end, the death is not the end, but that we have the glory of Easter Sunday and that glorious resurrection. Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. Like we have the resurrection of Easter Sunday after that, after the events of Holy Thursday and Good Friday and even Holy Saturday. And I just want to go back on something, actually. You know, you talk about how when, you know, how they're calling for Jesus' crucifixion, they're calling for, they they want Barabbas to be freed. They say that Jesus Christ is a revolutionary. He needs to be put to death. Uh, and, Barabbas, and Barabbas is the exact opposite. But the irony is, is that we all, is that we've come to know that Barabbas was the one that was trying to, would eventually try to incite a revolution uh, against Rome. And also, you talk about like when Pilate uh, back on Palm Sunday uh, was, you know, there to pretty much, you know, keep a keep a keep the crowd peaceful for the most part. And it's just, you know, the irony there: the crowd was not peaceful at all, based on all the events that were happening. I mean, they were attend they were they were watching you know Jesus go, go through the streets they were watching him get crucified you know they were calling uh, calling him to be crucified they were hope calling for Barabbas to be released it was kind of you know a chaotic uh you know organized uh, chaos in a way actually because they weren't like the citizens themselves like weren't actually like doing damage to anything but but just the presence of what was going on you know it kind of created like this energy of inter- it kind of created the energy of like you know a of of how of a riot could potentially happen based on everything that was going on and when you talk and when i think about and i think about that you know and you know just looking back at it again like i said the irony of everything you know um and with how Jesus was crucified, Barabbas was freed, uh, and then and then obviously a few years later, uh, they end up trying to revolt against Rome, like some for some thirty to forty years after the fact, and that rebellion eventually just gets squashed in a matter of like pretty much turns to nothing uh, out of that. Uh, so the that's just some irony there as to what happens. It's all they kind of forgot in a way, like the teachings of Jesus in a way there. But I I always think about like you know Pontius Pilate and how he didn't want to actually put Jesus to death because he did like he thought that Jesus was not doing like he thought that Jesus should not have been crucified. He thought that he wasn't causing any harm to anybody, but the people wanted him crucified, and he had and. You know, he washed his hands and, you know, dried them off and sealed the fate of not only our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but he also sealed the fate for a lot of other people that day, unbeknownst to him. Um, but the thing is, though, is like, you know, it's uh, even when you talk about Judas uh, with the ta- betraying him and taking the 30 pieces of silver, uh, he ended up regretting that himself. He didn't want the, he didn't want the money after that. He realized that he had messed up. Um, Peter denying him three times. Uh, he didn't, Jesus had said to him, Peter, you will deny me three times. And he denied him and he said, no, I won't. So he, and so, and then, I, and then like he, you know, the first time he was like, I don't know this man. Second time, I don't know this man. Third time, I don't know this man. So he, and you know, Peter realized that, that that had, had been made true too. So it's just like the events from Holy Thursday to Holy Saturday, um, 
it's always just fascinating, you know, when this time of the year comes up and we kind of like look back and remember and, you know, kind of remember everything that's happened. And again, it's about the importance of everything too, you know, kind of just talking about that as well. But, uh, you know, in terms of like Good Friday, you know, and, you know, Good Friday, actually, you know, like, did you like, you know, you know, have any like you know family gathering or anything like that you know in terms of something yeah so so we used to uh growing up we used to do three things on good friday there were like three parts of our good friday and so the first was always we'd wake up early i don't know like seven or eight in the morning and we'd go to uh, the Broadway Market in the city of Buffalo. Did we, would you ever do that when you were a kid? Uh, I used to go to the Broadway Market when I was, like, very, very young. I actually don't have any, like, recollection of going. The, I've actually never, like, been to the Broadway Market after, like, I was, like, 10. But I I do remember going to the Broadway Market. And the Broadway Market, like, it's huge. It's huge down there. Like, you know, oh, they have almost anything and i know where you're gonna go with this like the butter lamb the lambs of butter right oh my gosh there'd be hundreds probably thousands of people down there never never now in covid oh my gosh i don't know what it'll look like in the future but you'd go down there and uh you know we would stop always at tim hortons on the way down get like a muffin or a bagel or something yeah and then as we're walking in i mean it's like walking into i don't know like 1955 or something i mean there's the butcher shops they've got all the fresh meat people are getting their lamb they're getting their ham Yep. for Easter, um, you know, there's there's people who are selling candy and goodies, you know, little Easter basket sweets. Yep. There's usually a polka band playing. People are selling. It's a very Polish thing, and so there's a lot of um, there's a lot of like ethnic groups that are there selling Polish goodies and tchotchkes and things, little uh, yep. little decorations for the upcoming Dingus Day and all that. And it's um, it's so much fun. It really, it's so much fun. There's music. It's lively. We always, without a doubt, would run into at least, I don't know, a dozen people that we knew because it's just such a Buffalo Catholic thing to do, you know? Oh, yeah. Buffalo no, uh, being like 50% Catholic and, and all the people in Buffalo wanting to go to the Broadway market on Good Friday. It was, oh, my gosh, that was so much fun. Oh, yeah. No, not without a doubt. And, you know, and one thing, too, was like the butter, like, you know, they always uh, like hype up the butter, like the butter lambs, too, around that time of the, that time, this time of the year, too, especially because like after Easter is like, you know, like you said, Broadway markets very much Polish. So the day after Easter is a uh, dingus day. So like you'd see them getting ready for that, too. Uh, the butcher shops and everything. But like I said, it's been such a long time since I've been to the Broadway market. But like, you know, it's just it's, you know. It is very much hyped up, and it is very much like it's it's a great place to go too with all with the butcher shops and you know with the butcher shops and the candy and everything and like you said Easter time it's the busiest time of the year too, um you know I yeah I don't I wonder why my family actually stopped going actually I I really don't know why to be honest but um you know maybe hopefully I hopefully I can go back uh to again. You know, obviously with COVID, this it's not an option this year. I mean, probably could be, but it won't be as many people. Um, but for my family, actually, I mean, we like like I said, we did that until at least I was ten. But uh, we wouldn't actually go on Good Friday. We would actually go like the Thursday, like after after I would get out of school, because it wouldn't be that. It would be busy, but not as busy. But uh, for Good Friday, actually, because. When I was younger, actually, like, you know, my parent, my grandparents, again, they would come into town and visit. So them and my parents would end up going to afternoon mass on, on Friday. And because me and my brother were in school, they would pick us up 
and we would end up going to a restaurant back in the falls called the Polish Nook. And it's a, a very popular Polish restaurant. It's only open like four it's only open like four days a week though. And they have really good fish fries. So we would either go there or we would end up going to a restaurant uh, called a restaurant called Gadowski's actually in uh, the falls. And you would actually love Gadowski's. It's uh it's uh Notre Dame themed, like all Notre Dame fighting Irish uh everything. Uh like you know, decorations, uh, signs, flags, posters, everything in terms of Notre Dame football, uh, because the owner was actually a huge uh, Notre Dame fan and was actually a season ticket holder for the longest time, too, actually. Um, but we would alternate every year between the Polish Nook and Godowski's in terms of getting going there for fish fry, or if it was too busy like to actually like eat inside, we would end up just or taking out from those places. So, again, you know, just fond memories of family and everything, uh, good, good, you know, good traditions that we used to have in family and, you know, good tradition that your family has as well. Um, I miss that stuff. <laughs> yeah, I know. Isn't it something? My sister and I, we always joke, you know, because the other thing that we used to do on Good Friday was, uh, was clean all of the, all of the glass um, you know, like the china that we had, the, the wine glasses, all the nice vases. So from noon to 3 o'clock when Jesus was hanging on the cross, or maybe like noon to 2.30 because then we would go to church, we would um, we would silently, without any music, we, we'd have to, you know, back in like the days of Nintendo DS, turn off our Nintendo DSs, and put away all the electronics, and we would just, we'd clean, and we'd just pray about Jesus on the cross. And my sister and I, we joke about that. We're like, wait, we're like, was that was that really the best use of her time on Good Friday, like maybe we could have been praying instead of just cleaning the glasses. I think it was just some clever ploy by my mom to try to get us to do some laundry and, and some chores around the house. Probably she probably just wanted you to do some chores on a Friday. You know, may probably make some good may make some good good use of you guys probably. But you know, looking back at it, it's always a, it's all in good fun and always a laugh. Uh, uh, but yeah, no stuff like that. I I miss. You know, I'm not gonna lie. Like it's. It's crazy, like, the things that, like, we used to do when you're younger, and now you look back at it, it's like, damn, I wish I, we still did that. Uh, but, uh, you know, last day I want to cover is uh, the, mo the most important day, in my opinion, for uh, not just of uh, the liturgical year, but also uh, the most important day of this topic of choice that we're talking about here, and that's Easter Sunday. So talk me through about the importance of Easter Sunday. And then also, you know, just talk about, you know, we'll talk about some traditions and stories about Easter as well. Well, you got that right, buddy. Easter Sunday is not only the most important day in the liturgical year for Holy Mother Church. It is the definitive moment, the climactic moment in the history of, I'm going to say right here, the universe. Uh, I mean, this is the moment that the Lord, the God of the universe, who died to sin and who took on our sins so that he might free us from those sins and from that punishment in hell. It's the day that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and as the expiation for our sins, he paid that price so that we would not have to pay it on our own. I mean, it's, this is just incredible. I mean, it's, it's literally so indescribably beautiful that words just seem to fail it. it just doesn't seem that words do this justice this moment and what's even more remarkable is that this resurrection the most important moment in the history of the world was for some people 
sort of unremarkable. You know, I mean, at that time when when Jesus rose, I mean, his death was so important to the apostles and the disciples. But I have to imagine that Pontius Pilate probably just went back to his back to his palace and didn't, didn't really think much of anything. Another another criminal. Pontius Pilate was ruthless. He killed criminals all the time. He had them executed all the time. And for him, it was probably just sort of inconsequential. Oh, yeah, crucify another guy. But, I mean, the effect of Jesus's passion, suffering, death, and resurrection cannot be understated, cannot be underscored. I mean, in theology theologians have been talking about this for 2,000 years. I mean, Easter Sunday is the defining moment, the definitive moment for our salvation. I, I mean, this is the day that Jesus Christ conquered the grave. You know? So this is a great a great image, I think, for all of us, too, uh, not only in, in COVID, but in, in any suffering, no matter what. It might be an illness, a loss of job, a tough relationship, a breakup, whatever it might be, that in that pain of Good Friday, God brings forth the goodness of Easter Sunday. You know, in that in that emptiness, that darkness, that quietness of the the, the tomb uh, in which Jesus was laid, He emerges victorious. You know, we know that death has no final answer. Death has no sting because Jesus takes away that sting. He, he's victorious over the grave, and that's just that's incredible. Uh, Easter Sunday is just always beautiful, and and certainly um, it's it's so great to see so many people in church too. Young families, people are in their nicest Easter you know, pastels, blues and pinks and greens and yellows. Everybody's all dressed up. I mean, churches were full. The priest is on the altar. He's got the incense. He's got the holy water going around the going around the congregation. I mean, churches usually, I mean, I remember when I was growing up going on Easter Sunday morning and church was, I mean, it was busier than it seemed like on Christmas Eve. I mean, there were people standing in the aisles, standing out in the parking lot and the, in the sidewalk next to the church. It was incredible. Oh my gosh. And then we got to go home and and keep the party going, and we, uh, so to speak, and we, uh, you know, we, we play with our Easter baskets, find the chocolate. So, how about you, man? How about any, any good Easter Sunday memories? I mean, Easter Sunday was all I, again, you know, it was huge. Fa- it was a family gathering for the most part. I mean, act, um, uh, my grandparents would come in. Uh, we would meet me, my mom, my dad, my brother, my grandparents. We would end up meeting my aunt and uncle at a church, and we would, you know, Easter morning mass. Um, we mass would actually be earlier than typical Sunday morning mass because it is long. It is the longest uh, mass actually uh, in terms of presiding over. For or at least in my opinion, at least in my opinion, it is. I always remember. I always come to see, feel like Easter. Remember that Easter masses were any were two hours, if not over two hours, just based on everything that. Uh, our priest would talk about and go over in terms of the readings and his homily and also just talking with each with each with us in general just and preaching his message um plus there would also be like a little celebration at the end too uh which was nice as well but yeah i mean easter is it's a beautiful time of the year honestly not just in terms of the liturgical year but also just in terms of the year in general because Easter Sunday, like, you know, it's, you know, sun, you know, beautiful colors, like you said, the pinks, the blues, the purples, you know, the beautiful spring colors, the beautiful spring weather, uh, the message of that, G, uh, that Jesus conquers all uh, is, out, is being preached, the importance of Jesus' resurrection and how, and how he conquered death is out there too, and, you know, I, you know, another thing, too, is, like, we always talk about, like, you know, the chocolate basket, the chocolate and the Easter baskets, too. And my mom would end up, like, 
my like my mom and my dad would like make Easter baskets for us, and like they would she would say that they're from the Easter Bunny. But as you as you get older, you start to recognize like your parents' handwriting, and my dad would always be the one that writes the notes. My dad has awful handwriting. I'm like, oh, okay, thanks, Easter Bunny. You have the same handwriting as my dad, um, but we'd also have like a little Easter egg hunt. Uh, my my family would like put together like an Easter egg hunt for me and my brother just to find like a, like the plastic eggs and they'd have like toys and like uh those you know those dollar shape those dollar uh those dollar shaped candies uh like the chocolate candies that are shaped like a dollar coin or whatever like they'd put they would put those in like the eggs and like we'd run around like the yard and in the house and try and find them and even like in school actually um my my te- like every year like you know the teachers would kind of just like put together like a little Easter egg hunt for uh, our cl- for like you know the school uh, in turn before for for the school to you know look go around the school find whatever and whoever found the most actually ended up like winning like a gift card or whatever. I never actually came close to it. I would find like one or two and that would just be it for me. But a few of my friends back in school uh, would end up doing that. That was only for elementary school, though. For middle school, like we really didn't do we didn't do anything like that because obviously, as you get older, it's you realize it becomes more of a kid thing. Uh, I mean, next time I'll probably do something like that is when I have my own family. But you know, the Easter egg hunts, the chalk, the chocolate, the Easter baskets, the beautiful colors. Uh, you know, just being outside in general, you know, also, also having, also remembering the message of Jesus's resurrection too. having it all tying together just makes it for one beautiful setting. Yeah. And I mean, that, that can't be lost that symbolism too, right? That, that connection between Easter, right? Which comes from the root meaning East to the East. Where does the sun rise in the morning? In the East, in the, right? east. the sun represents the light, the light coming into the day, driving away the darkness. Jesus coming out of the tomb is the sun. S-O-N, not the S-U-N, bringing light into the world, dispelling darkness. Is this all? I mean, you can, I, I hope that your listeners can, can begin to see these connections, too, with, with the beautiful, um, the beautiful uh, uh, just nature of Easter and, and of Jesus' resurrection. And not to mention the new life, right? Jesus' new life uh, in, in his resurrected life, his, his glorified body, and, and certainly the new life that we see each spring, you know, whether it's March or April. Uh, you know, there's uh, buds on the trees, There, there's new birds starting to chirp, you know, eggs are starting to hatch, which is just beautiful. It's, it's really a, a wonderful time of the year. Oh, it really is. I mean, you know, this uh, this year, Easter will be in, this year will be, this year, Easter will be in April. And, you know, as the weather continues to change, the spring equinox is coming uh, fast. The spring equinox will come and go. And by the time Easter comes, like the warmer weather will already be here. So, you know, just putting that all into all into perspective, it's everything that we're talking about. Uh, looks like it'll happen for the most part. And also, I look at in terms of COVID and everything, uh, it, with how Easter is approaching, the warmer weather is approaching too. The things could eventually, you know, like look into the light and turn a corner with how things have been going with COVID. You know, it looks more and more. You know, the future looks more and more bright in terms of us being able to return to some sort of normalcy or full normal because of how numbers in terms of positive tests keep going down and the number of people that continue to get vaccinated increases on a daily basis. 
So that's just one more thing that I, you know, that can, I feel like, you know, can be attributed to this, you know, just in terms of, you know, looking into the lights, turning a corner and just the beauty of something as well. Yeah. And, and as you were mentioning Easter eggs too, before I was thinking of, of all the times that my sister and I would be looking for Easter eggs growing up and uh, they were usually pretty well hidden, but we were, I like to think we were pretty smart kids. We were pretty resourceful. So we would find most of them. But I remember this was in the last couple of years, probably when I was, I, don't know, I think, I don't know, the Easter bunny would still make a, a trip to our house and, uh, and, and hide some eggs for us, you know, even in college. And, um, and I remember the one time, you know, we, we had our number of eggs, a dozen eggs or 10 eggs or however many it was, those little plastic ones with, you know, coins or a dollar or a $5 bill in them. And, and I had mine. And we'll say I had 10 that year. You know, I could only find nine. And I just, I was racking my mind. I'm like, where could this be? I was looking everywhere. I was looking in light fixtures. I was looking in cabinets, high and low. Couldn't find it. Fast forward a few months. It's middle of summer, probably July. I'm cutting the grass in the backyard. I happen to look up into our uh, our bay window that's in our kitchen and behind one of the curtains you know that, that you couldn't really see from the inside is my egg taped to the window <laughs> so i found the easter egg three months later it was a nice little surprise i think there was like a five dollar bill in there and another time it took me even longer to find my last egg i think this was the year before maybe two years earlier maybe like four or five years ago from right now but i uh i couldn't find my last egg same thing i'm looking i'm looking i couldn't find it couldn't find it anywhere Fast forward maybe 10 or 11 months. It was it was winter. It was like January or February, the following January or February. We're sitting at the dinner table. I drop my fork. I get underneath the table to pick up my fork. There's my egg taped to the bottom of the table. Taped to the bottom of the table right under there. That's, that's pretty funny, actually. You know, you kind of forget about that stuff and, like, as the months go on. But then you see it. It's like, hey, there you are. It's kind of, it's kind of funny. Like, I've never actually had anything like that happen with me. But, uh, you know, talking about Easter eggs, actually, now I'm thinking about it. It's like, did you ever end up, like, dying, like, actual eggs? Uh, like, make, like, dying actual eggs with food coloring and uh, putting them into a basket and just, like, you, making a decoration out of it? Oh, yeah, every year. You know what? We, uh, we would always do some pretty funny things, too, with the eggs. So, you know, we get our little, uh, I think it's pronounced paws or paz, the, the little egg decorating set that everybody gets from the grocery store. Yep. And we'd, um, you know, we'd fill up the little cups and we'd have our you know, dozen or two dozen boiled eggs. But then, uh, you know, there's like that little white crayon that comes in the, in the box. My sister and I would go down and get the Crayola 24 pack or 48 pack or whatever. So we'd have all these different colors. We'd write jokes. We'd have all these inside jokes. We'd dunk them and we'd pull them out, you know, and then we you know, so it would always be exciting. We'd do little things that made sense to us, but probably nobody else. So that was always fun. That was, that was always a good time. What about uh, what about you and your brother? Oh, I mean, like, we would just end up, like, we would end up just, like, dying them, dunking them, like, you know, put, you know, get, painting them. We'd end up actually painting them and, like, you know, drawing on them, too. But nothing like inside jokes or anything like that. Uh, I remember, like, you know, trying to make them look, I remember I was trying to make them always look like, you know, sports balls, like a baseball or a basketball or a football or a soccer ball. Um, never could really get to, never could really get it to go. Um, actually, a so like, the soccer ball was always the hardest, like, especially with how the design is, but I don't know. Like, you know, I would actually, like, do so well in terms of it, but then, like, I'd always mess up, like, at the end, I'm just like, all right, here's this, here's this uh, weird-looking uh, football, here's this weird-looking uh, baseball. Like, you know, it was always hard just to, like, get the lines without them trying to touch one another <laughs> because of how small the egg is, and then, like, you know, when I was painting, like, the brush, like, the, 
you know, the paint strokes always, like, and, and the paint strokes always weren't, like, very even. You know, just bad art skills on my part there. So it, it, is, it is what it is, though. I was never, never a good artist. Can't paint, can't draw. It is what it is. I, uh, lo- the only thing is, though, is luckily that uh, art class, like, in school, whenever I, was, whenever I took art class in school, they just needed me to, like, uh, you know, do, like, color inside the lines uh, in elementary school. Uh, in middle and high school, it was kind of like abstract stuff where you could just like splatter and like take magazine stuff. So thankfully, like that was the case for art class and not actually me having to try and be an artist. But no, I mean, like, you know, like I said, it, it's always good to uh, just bring up these memories, uh, especially because, you know, it, these memories are with loved ones. These are they're with family members, you know, uh, family members, friends, you know. It's just good to reminisce about the good old days and talk about the traditions and the importance of these three days, mainly because, uh, main, just mainly because of their general importance, uh, not only in the liturgical year for the church, but also just in general in people's lives, too, because people do, uh, a good majority of the people do celebrate uh, Easter, uh, they do participate in something in terms of Good Friday and even on Palm Sunday too. But do you have any final thoughts? Yeah, if I could. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me back. This is such a such an honor and such a such a privilege to be able to, to chat with you to, to reminisce about childhood and, and all the good memories growing up around Easter and, and the beautiful uh, solemnities of Holy Week. And if I could, I just want to I want to invite your listeners. I want to encourage your listeners uh, if you've been away for a while, uh, or if you go every week, or maybe you're somewhere in between, think about coming back to church this week uh, as we celebrate uh, the love story, really the greatest love story of our of our story. It's, uh, it's a story of salvation, that the God who loves us would take on our suffering, take on our sins, take on that punishment that was meant for us, that we incurred by our sin, so that we might not perish but have eternal life. And that we won't have life to the fullest with him in in uh, in the kingdom yet to come. So, you know, not only um, not only a Palm Sunday, but uh, but make it to Holy Thursday. I mean, celebrate that celebrate that Eucharist, celebrate that Mass of the Lord's Supper, as Jesus gives us Himself physically, you know, uh, excuse me, uh, substantially, really and truly gives Himself to us in that Eucharist. You know, get to get to Good Friday, uh, get to that celebration of the Holy Cross in which we remember. That, that sacrifice that Jesus paid for us uh, in, in that uh, darkest hour of his life. And then and then continue on that Triduum path to, uh, to Holy Saturday and, and, and listen to the readings uh, which, which go from creation and all the way through the, the prophets up until, you know, the, the New Testament and, and really uh, uh, chronicle that, again, that, that story of our salvation from the fall of man to, to the current um, to the current salvation that we have in Jesus Christ, and so uh, and so, of course, we also welcome new members into the church on, on Easter Saturday. Excuse me, on Holy Saturday, the day before Easter Sunday. Uh, so we have people who are baptized and confirmed. It's a great opportunity to meet them, to welcome them into the church, into the Catholic faith, and then, of course, on Easter Sunday to celebrate that triumph of God, uh, that that victory of Jesus over death uh, and sin forever, permanently. And so uh, I just want to invite you, I just want to encourage you to, to come on back. Come on back to church, whether you've been away for a little bit, whether you've been away for a long bit. Um, church is here. The Lord is here. He's waiting for you. Uh, and, and he can't wait to see you. And he can't wait to share his love with you as he has every year, as we, as we not only remember, but make present this, uh, 
this final week, this holy week, this holiest of weeks. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, no, that's perfect. I mean, you know, wonderful final thoughts there. And yeah, no, my listeners, uh, take, take his, you know, I can encourage only the same thing, you know, just take his advice. Uh, if you have been away for a while, you know, the church is always, wel- the church is always welcoming. Uh, if you're not able to uh, go to church uh, this year because of COVID, you know, do what you can to uh, participate, do what you can, obviously, in terms of participating and, and, and every and anything associated with Palm Sunday through Easter Sunday in your own manner as well, obviously. But uh, any type of remembrance uh, or celebration is encouraged. Uh, but with that being said, my friend, you know, like I said, you're always welcome on the podcast. You're always welcome to shoot me ideas about the podcast. I'm open to them. And again, I thank you for having me on. And it's been a pleasure. And I hope you come on again. It's been an absolute pleasure, my friend. Absolutely. Happy Easter. Happy Easter to all your to all your listeners and you especially too, Jeremy. All right. Thank you, buddy. Happy Easter to you as well. So before I conclude today's podcast episode, I just want to go off about how the NCAA men's basketball tournament has been completely insane and how it has been flipped and turned outside in, inside out, upside down, all around, you know, whatever it is, you name it, you know, this Tournament is topsy-turvy, it's drunker than it has ever been before, and I'm loving every minute of it, okay? My team may be out, my bracket may have died on day one, but I still love this tournament, okay? For a college basketball season that has been so topsy-turvy and turned inside out because of all the COVID protocols, because of all the games that were canceled, postponed, no fans in the stands, rankings uh, were different, obviously, um, you know, the traditional powerhouses not having the, the typical seasons that they have. This tournament, it's only fitting that it is the way it is to close out such a crazy season. It's only fitting that this postseason continues to be insane like the regular season was with the traditional powerhouse Blue Bloods either only making the tournament to get knocked down the round of 64 like the Carolina North Carolina Tar Heels were, or not making the tournament at all like Duke and Kentucky uh, who didn't make the tournament. And also just with the complete craziness of the underdog stories and the upsets uh, and the Cinderella runs that have been happening in this tournament too. I mean, going off of my own bracket, I mean, I had two Final Four teams eliminated, and it's not even a Sweet 16 yet. I had Illinois and Ohio State, two Big Ten teams that had great seasons in the Big Ten, get knocked out, Ohio State losing to Sweet 16 participant Oral Roberts, 15-seed Oral Roberts from a little dinky university in Tulsa, Oklahoma that is named after a dead televangelist, a guy that preached religion on television, founded this university, and now they're in the Sweet 16 of the greatest tournament in all of sports, in my opinion, the NCAA Men's Basketball Tournament. Okay, you have Illinois, who isn't even the best team in Illinois anymore because they lost to darlings of the 2018 tournament, the Loyola Chicago Ramblers, led by team chaplain Sister Jean, obviously. Um, and And Loyola Chicago is continuing another dream run in the tournament, and they are also a Sweet 16 participant. 
You have the Oregon State Beavers, who are a 12 seed, the Pac-12 champions. They were, who were projected to finish last in the Pac-12, by the way. And they're in the Sweet 16, too. So, you had North Texas, the Mean Green. They ended up upsetting Purdue in the first round. Okay, Virginia ended up losing to Ohio from the MAC in the first round. The defending champions from two years ago ended up losing. Okay, you have like it's you have Syracuse where they that team like is very inconsistent to start the year, and everybody talks about how they're overrated. They get into the tournament as an 11 seed. Everybody loses their shit because they felt that the Syracuse didn't belong in the tournament, and even if they did, they should have been in the first four matchup. They're now in the Sweet 16 because of the great shooting abilities of Buddy Bayheim and Joe Girard, and the 2-3 zone has been very effective too. Okay, but the thing going off of that... There is a traditional blue blood that is in the tournament still, and it's not the traditional blue blood that you th- aren't that you don't normally think about. The UCLA Bruins, the school that gave us Lou Alcindor, who ch- eventually changed his name to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and this and the same school that also gave us Bill Walton. They are an eleven seed. They entered the tournament in, a, in the first four, going up against Michigan State. They are now in the Sweet 16, continuing a magical run of their own, okay? The Pac-12, the Conference of Champions, as Bill Walton always says they are, they have the best record out of all the conferences participating in this tournament, okay? Whereas the Big Ten, who has been a great conference for basketball throughout the regular season. They're shitting the bed right now. Ohio State, like I said, gone. Illinois, like I said, gone. Iowa, they lost to Oregon, gone. Michigan, they're in the Sweet 16. They're as a number one seed right now. But the thing is, though, is that almost every other Big Ten participant, gone. The ACC also failed to show up at this tournament, okay? The ACC champions, gone. The defending champions, gone. Power, typical blue blood North Carolina, gone. Okay? Duke, not even in the tournament. All right? The two, two teams remaining from the ACC are Florida State and a former Big East school in Syracuse. The SEC, another basketball conference where everybody thinks, you know, the, the schools, the typical basketball schools, aren't there or just didn't show up. Kentucky, not in the tournament because they had a 9-16 and record. But now you have basketball powerhouses, LSU and Alabama in the tournament. And Alabama's in, in the Sweet 16 under the great coaching of Nate Oates, formerly of the University at Buffalo. So with this tournament just being topsy-turvy and everything, it's just insane that in one region alone... You could have, out of Syracuse, Houston, Loyola Chicago, and Oregon State, one of those four teams can make the Final Four. And in my honest opinion, I think that Loyola Chicago is the favorite to come out of there. And they, and they at least should be, in my opinion, because they're better than an eighth seed, and the NCAA whiffed on that one. But that Sweet 16 matchup between Loyola Chicago and the Oregon State Beavers is, one, is a matchup I'm looking forward to. 
I didn't think that anything like that would happen given how this season has been and how the tournament usually goes. But the thing is, though, is that, like I said, given how the season has been, given how the current tournament is, anything is possible. And, I mean, the fate of the known world is is at stake here. A trip to the Elite Eight. You've got the Beavers that are chewing their way through the tournament, going up against Sister Jean and her divine intervention and her great scouting reports of teams. It's crazy how things have been going on in this tournament. But the thing, But the thing is, though, is, like, I don't want it to end. One of these teams' dream runs has to end, sadly, and it's a shame. But the thing is, though, is that the fun will not stop. It will not end with one of their seasons coming to an end. Obviously, there will be much more madness to come as we go into the Sweet 16 and to the Elite 8 over the course of next weekend. I do want to say one more thing, though. Given my conversation with CJ about Palm Sunday... Good Friday and Easter, and how e- how that all partic- like is all tied with Jesus. You have Oral Roberts, Baylor, and Sister Jean, and Loyola Chicago in the Sweet Sixteen. All three of those schools are tied to religion, and only Baylor is typically known as a quote unquote basketball powerhouse. Currently, that is. Okay? Oral Roberts, like I said, founded by a televangelist, literally named Oral Roberts. Okay? The school itself, they used to have an honor pledge where you couldn't, lie, where you had to sign a piece of paper stating you wouldn't drink, lie, cuss, steal, and have sex. I don't know if they still have that honor pledge or not, but personally, I don't give a shit. I don't go to Oral Roberts. I mean, and then Baylor. And then Baylor, like I said, tip, you know, they're known as a basketball powerhouse, quote-unquote. But And then Sister Jean and Loyola Chicago, 1963 NCAA champions, darlings of the 2018 tournament. Look, It's looking like the most outstanding player of the tournament so far is Jesus Christ himself, based on how things have been going. His divine intervention, not just for these three schools, but just because of how crazy this tournament is. The basketball gods have just given us a great tournament after the 2020 tournament was canceled due to the COVID pandemic. And I, my, I myself could not have asked for anything more. I really couldn't have. And with that being said there, that concludes today's episode of the Jerry's World Podcast. You can listen to and subscribe to the Jerry's World Podcast on Apple Podcast or Spotify. You can also follow the Jerry's World Podcast on Instagram at Jerry's World Podcast. The March Bandness 2021 competition is still going on, currently in the round of 16, and will be going into the round of 8 eventually. And next episode of the Jerry's World Podcast will be a preview of the 2021 MLB season. That is an episode that I did with a few special guests. I'm grateful that they came on and were able to do that with me. That's an episode that I was looking forward to recording. So I hope you guys can give that episode a listen as well as this one, as well as any other episodes you may have missed. But until then, just keep on keeping on, everybody.